Salam and welcome back everybody to our podcast, Unapologetic, The Third Narrative. Our original and authentic initiative in light of the war in Israel and Gaza. A platform where we will share our identities, views and experience from the ground. In the last few episodes, we've been talking about and sharing our experiences, personal stories, and specifically in episode four, we talked about um, our opinions when it comes to what we think the foundations that need to be inserted within our respective communities, both separately and united simultaneously to strengthen the grassroots peace building field. And we know we promised to bring more terminology and more fact-checking. So here we present to you an entire episode that no segments, sorry to say that there are no segments, but it's going, the terminology and the fact-checking are going to be infused within this entire episode. So it's basically an episode about those two segments. But in order, we loved we loved recording the previous episode. And because it was such a flowy conversation, we decided not to actually make separations, but have it like a very natural conversation. So I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, especially now because we have the war going on, it becomes even more of a challenge. Because we're not even we're not only talking about terminology and the everyday status quo that we live in. But now there are more terminologies that are coming out because of the war itself. <clears throat> so the terms become part of the discussion, become part of the debate. I mean, again, going back to our third narrative, in my opinion, the whole argument of, you know, trying to put whether or not certain things are under a certain framework or a certain term, it's more for the moral compass yeah. aspect. Even for the, if we say fact-checking, even, you know, concerning, um, and I had a, an interview recently um, um, in a media outlet, and they literally asked me about the hospital um, bombing. So you're, you're, you're the support of Palestine, yes? I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, are you on the Palestine side? I said, I am on the side of peace, and I am Israeli and Palestinian, so no, I'm not on one side. They're like, yeah, 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 you want peace. But when it comes down to it, yeah. you're for Palestine, yes? I said, again, I am who I am, and I'm both. Take it or leave it. It's, it's what it is. But I think the attempt by media is to portray two sides, and it's only in order for, you know, um, a, a pro-Israeli. It's a show. It's a show. There, it's a show on our lives. And pro-Israeli um, Western person can basically fill his moral... Um, you know, there is an aspect of morality that he needs to feel how it's morally okay that he is pro-Israeli. So he wants to hear those things from the Israeli side of the debate. And then someone who's pro-Palestinian is supposed to get those from the Palestinian side of the debate. Each one is filling the, the hole missing in the morality aspect of how can I justify at the end mm -hmm. of the day, how can I justify that I'm pro-Israeli versus pro-Palestinian? Uh, and that's, I think, is part of the problem. But again, terms are there and they exist, so we need to tackle them. And they them. exist for a reason. And for a reason. So we need to tackle them. We need to talk about them. The, the overall problem is that we are nitpicking with the, with the terminologies, I think. It, it becomes a, a game of how can I dispute one term over the other, and that disputes the whole argument of one side over the other. I think that's the problem in the argument and how it's done about terminologies. 
But if you analyze it and if you open it to all its multi-layer, I think you can find more understanding of each one. And when you keep in mind that an actual solution is what is required from the conversation, you might actually let go or overlook the the term that's used. Don't like not put effort into correcting the terminology of the person in front of you, but overlooking that and actually focusing on getting onto a solution. Because we said it before, you said it before, you don't make peace with your friends, you make peace with your enemies. You're obviously not going to agree on terminology. And I think that's the simplest thing that you are going to disagree on. The simplest term I can say is free Palestine, for instance. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, you know, it becomes a question of okay, sure, where, right? Yeah. That's that's a, a lot of people ask that question on the on the reverse side. So great, let's talk about that. If we're pro peace, we can discuss what does free Palestine mean to you and to vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis someone who is uh, pro-Israeli, and he's uh, you should ask him why. Wh what does he th believe by free Palestine? For me, mm -hmm. free Palestine is free Palestinian people. Yeah. It's an independent state alongside the state of Israel because we need to live in peace in this place. Because I think if it's a free Palestine to take the whole land, we won't. that won't happen. And there won't be a Palestinian people to get a land if we only use the means of violence because it hasn't worked for 85 years mm -hmm. and we need, something, uh, we need something different. That's just my view. Okay, so before, before we delve into actual terminology and take... take actually give our take on the terminology that's being thrown out there and actually dissect it and give our opinion on it and why we sometimes use it or don't use it or or agree or disagree let's let's talk about what this terminology leads to let's talk about our stories on what the use of this terminology um, has brought up on into both our our specific personal lives but also our uh, society as a whole I'm sure pre-war and during this war, you have gone through or heard of many stories of discrimination, um, both from your people and towards your our people. Um, do you have anything that comes to mind? Um, I mean, we talked in episode four a bit about uh, how we as the you know uh, Air 48 need to be the grown-ups mm -hmm. in this scenario. And we feel that pressure of we can't say things and others can't. So that is a form of discrimination in that way. When someone says uh, something, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, radical against uh, uh, against the state or against the Jewish people as a people, I mean, which is obviously wrong, they're arrested. But why isn't it the same treatment to a Jewish person who says death to Arabs, mm -hmm. which actually is also enticing to give us probably the most dangerous thing, by the way, for the state of Israel's existence is a civil war. Mm -hmm. Is more. It's actually more dangerous than a war with Gaza. If you ask me strategically about existential threat, that happens from within. And if this state want to realize this, we're doomed, in my opinion. We're doomed. If we're going to have still have that segregation, and if the, if 20% of the population after 75 years of being uh, part of the state and about uh, 65 years being full citizens of the state don't feel fully uh, don't feel that the uh, the state is also theirs in one form or another. It's the failure of the state, and it's discrimination that it's both uh, inherited in the system, but it's also personal discrimination mm -hmm. of people. Uh, so we, I mean, I definitely, you know, throughout my life, there's so many examples that I can think of of where I was discriminated uh, against. 
I think the first one that comes to mind is uh, being called uh, um, when I was a waiter and, uh, you know, it was uh, an American um, that I, that I was uh, on the table, like treating the table, servicing, and he goes to my boss and says, you know, Ibrahim is, is amazing, all these things. And she says, yes, yes, Ibrahim is a good Arab. What the hell does that mean? Good Arab. So what's the, okay, I'm a good Arab. So what's the regular Arab? Yeah. Bad? So you're the exception. It, 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 that's what it insinuates, uh -huh. that he is the good one out of those people who are inherently bad. That's what you're saying. And I was like shocked. I didn't know what to say. But the, immediately the uh, the guy, the guest said, no, no, no. He's a good person. Yeah. Not a good Arab. And I was filled with such appreciation to that person. And it was a Jewish customer, by the way, uh, Jewish-American. And I will never forget that moment uh, that, you know, he also stood up and, 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 and fixed that wrong terminology mm -hmm. to try to change. And, but in general terms, I think I try to not see it. I what think, do you mean? I mean, when you look for it, you see it more. The discrimination? Yes. So you try to not see it? That, that I try. I, I try to live my life normally uh -huh. i try to treat pe people equally mm -hmm. but not with suspicion yeah, when you yeah, yeah. look that's, at that's the your world responsibility i feel like when you look at the world with suspicion and trying to find out where are people looking at you with a weird look or a certain look while you're speaking arabic for instance you'll find it but you don't need to look at these people mm -hmm. who are in the background like it's not somebody who's interacting with you but if you walk into the street and someone turns their head because you said something in arabic mm -hmm. and you take offense you decided to take it to be offended while neglecting it, I think at times can be in a way better. And this is the life you should, they should accept that we exist and not, it shouldn't make us feel um, intimidated or is, looked at is... in a different way. It's like my own way to combat it. I feel like if I search for it, I'll find it way too much. There's no need. It exists. This is, I know exactly, it exists. This is exactly what I was talking about in episode four about uh, you saying that it's our like we have a big burden on ourselves to uh, to show people. Um, what I was saying is that there's uh, what I was saying was exactly what that customer did in the restaurant. Speaking up for it, putting people not ignoring it. We can we can choose to to turn a blind eye to it, but when it comes to the other side, quote unquote, other side, the people that aren't Arab, when they hear it, it's their responsibility to call it out. It's mutual, I think. Everybody's Absol responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I expected less in general from someone who's not an Arab than an Arab, I guess, because it's like at the end of the day, it's about mm. us, you know, at the end of the day, they're talking about you. So no, we're talking about we're talking your responsibility. about we're talking about the quality about we're talking about the quality of life here for both of us. The, the responsibility you might disagree, but the responsibility and we're not going to recreate the conversation that we had last time. Yes. But the responsibility lies on both, and we can't expect less or more for any either side. I think um, we should we should expect best, just human fucking decency from both. I mean, that for sure, that's, I, you know, there's no argument about that, that we, that's what the first thing that we need is human uh, dignity and, and accepting each other on, on normal, uh, just on a human basis, for sure. It's I, just that I always look at what I can do 
first and foremost, before what now, if somebody the, can if do. the entire world worked that way and everyone was looking at them and how they can improve, then this place would be amazing. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, and we need to call out responsibility where it needs to be held. Unless one's a prime minister, but sure, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> as we suggested last episode, uh, um, I wanted I wanted to I, talk about yes. uh, like for me. Um, I did want to ask. That's you know that's simple one simple example from someone who lives in the north, right? Mm -hmm. And and there are a lot of them, um, but in your situation, it's completely different. It is completely different, especially right now when we are not just supposed to blend in or expected to blend in. We right now want to because the trouble that comes with standing out as an Arab or as a Palestinian in uh, in in Israel is um, is something that us as Palestinians don't want right now. Like we want just a peace of mind, leave us alone from police and from citizens. We don't want like, uh, or at least I would assume. and questions. Yes. And, uh... But with that blending in makes us also witness to what is done and what is said when an Arab is suspected not to be in a room. So I was, um, during the beginning of the war, the first, uh, the first week, um, I, again, don't look like uh, ethnically ambiguous for a lack of another term. Um, and there was a siren and we all rushed, like a bunch of random people, we all rushed to a uh, to a shelter. And then I, I hear this lady, old lady talking in, in Arabic. And I'm like, first of all, she has balls. <laughs> talking in Arabic, like in the beginning, like first three days I'm talking, first three days. I had my mouth shut the entire time because I did not expect what was going to happen. I didn't want to be seen as an Arab and I also did not want to be seen as a Jew because I was like, felt like no one- You could can, be attacked on both yes, sides. Like I have a target on my back. Uh, from both. And then I hear this old lady talking in Arabic with her son. Her son is old, like her son is like an an adult and she's she's a, mm -hmm. she's an elderly lady and she starts speaking in Arabic so I approach her. And I like ask her and I was like, "Are you okay in Arabic?" And I tell her khalto. Like I talk to her and then she was like, "You speak Arabic?" And I was like, "Yes." And then she asks me, "Do you speak Hebrew?" And I was like, "Ken betach, I do speak Hebrew." And then she was like, "Okay, it's it's easier for me to speak to speak in Hebrew." And then I was like, "Okay, speak in Hebrew." And then she was like, "At Arabia, are you Arab?" And I was like, "Yes, I am." And then it's like, "Lama ta Why do you do this to us?" And just Why to do paint you? Yes, just to paint a picture. Sirens are on top and rockets are on top of our heads. Both of us are in a, sh a shelter at the moment and she's asking me, why are you doing yeah, this? Yeah, Mira, why are you doing now, this? Now in my head, I was like, okay, hold a second, ma'am. I'll call my cousins, I'll tell them to stop. But in reality, I told her like, don't you see that I'm taking shelter from the same threat that you are taking shelter from? So this terminology comes from like, don't want to say in this specific situation, like she's a sweet old lady. Um, but the, this use of terminology just makes us all as one and it's extremely dangerous. And um, I want to share another example, but I want to give you also the, the platform. No, 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 our, this was fascinating. Please give me another one. The, another example was I was with, uh, I was with a few friends and 
we same thing there was an azaka there was a siren and we ran to the we ran to the shelter and uh we were at one of my friend's apartments and we ran to the shelter of course all the all the neighbors went uh went down there also and one one uh person that was walking her dogs outside ran with her dogs inside and then one of the one of the people um one of the neighbors was saying uh so uh, thank God you have dogs. Arabs are terrified of dogs. No Arab would come here because you have a dog. And I'm sitting in the corner, <laughs> petting the dog. as like, and then it continues. He continues to say, wow. uh, you didn't see that the Arabs are meafo. They started walking around in this neighborhood. It's It's just... Like and this is this is like the the discrimination that was behind closed doors with no Arab. Technically, they thought that no Arab was in sight. Um, and this is an Arab. This is not a Palestinian we're talking about. Now, yes, we can talk about the similarities and how they overlap and whatever and how people identify for days. But at the end of the day, when it comes to inside of Israel, Arab is they less threatening us as Arab, Israeli yes. citizens. At the end of the day, Arab is less is threatening, but it's less threatening than Palestinian. Like Palestinian is um, like when Ar- with us is is more distrust. Yes, it's distrust. Palestinian From Palestinian is, is more fear. Yes, I think that's that's the a bit of the like how you can you know summarize the difference of the two sides. Yeah, and even on our platform, we had on one of our we had one comment that was shortly deleted after um, um, by the person who posted it that I told you about that uh, you're not Arab, you're not Palestinian, you're either Arab or you're our enemies. Like Palestinian um, is not just a threat, it's an enemy. When uh, you say that it's an enemy, that means you put effort in removing this threat. And as I said, that's the problem that exists, you know, and, and we mentioned that last episode, the problem of definition of uh, uh, how it's a Palestinian is perceived as a terminology. It's perceived as a, as a, as a political entity, mainly using terror to remove this, con- this country and make a new one. That's mm-hmm. what a Palestinian is in the eye of a... Of a, of a um, regular Israeli not knowing and not digging deep into the conflict mm-hmm. into and and exploring our our culture truly when they do they can see these things that we're talking about I want to take it to the other way also um like the the excuse that is sometimes valid about um oh like they they raise their children to hate us or they raise their children to kill and uh, eradicate Jews. Um, What do you think about that? What do you think about that? What do I think about raising someone to hate someone? No, the thought that thought that Palestinian ra- Palestinians raise their children. Like there's this famous quote um, from uh, Golda Meir that says, uh, "We can we can forgive the Palestinians." To, I'm going to butcher this. We can forgive the Palestinians for killing our children, but we cannot forgive them for making us kill theirs or something within those lines. And she also has a quote of um, um, there can't be peace until the Palestinians love their children more than they hate us. Um, That what do you think about that? I think. I don't think necessarily an, a Palestinian grows up and teaches his kids, listen, we have to hate Jewish people. Mm-hmm. But your reality, yeah. your experience, 
your surrounding, your society, everything about it shows you why the other side is bad. So how are you supposed to love it? Mm -hmm. You can't love the other side. And yeah. I think that's, you know, a ridiculous claim to like, you know, a Palestinian from, uh, from Hebron is supposed to love Jewish people out of the goodness of his heart without anything. Like, it makes no sense. He lives in horrific conditions. Mm -hmm. Why would he? Like, where would that love come from without you approaching him? He approached, like, you can't just expect people to, to have that feeling. Yeah. And, it, and it's crazy to me. But, and I, I mean, and, and listen, there are also Jewish people who are like, there are Palestinians who are raised to hate. Mm -hmm. And there are Jewish people who are raised to hate. Yeah. It exists on both sides. I remember watching... It was, uh, I think it was kind of a documentary. They were talking about bringing these uh, Israeli kids to the, to the, uh, to the military museum. Yeah. And we were talking to them about, you know, like how oh, they were seeing all these tanks and things, and you would see a twelve-year-old in front of the camera saying, "Yeah, I want to uh, grow up to be a soldier and kill as many Arabs as possible." Where did, the, where the hell did he hear that sentence? How did that formulate in your mind? Of course, you heard it from someone else. Of course, it's the environment. Uh, you know, it could be the home, the environment. It could also be that someone related to him got killed by an Arab. Yeah. And vice versa to a Palestinian by an Israeli soldier, by a rocket, by whatever it is. But when you suffer from the other side, of course you're going to like ha develop these feelings of hate. Like, I don't understand how we're supposed to... I, the, way, the way I look at it, I'm like, okay, let's, let's say, let's acknowledge. Let's acknowledge the suffering. Let's acknowledge the fact that there is incitement there is hate if not just in the education system but also in the society itself but let's let's imagine let's put ourselves in the shoes of a palestinian either in the west bank or in gaza uh, or even in east jerusalem when they're looking about their future they're looking about their fate and there's and they start to acknowledge the pre the jewish relationship to the to the land the indigenous indigenous relationship to the land which um is very extremely difficult for a palestinian to acknowledge by the way uh this oh, and vice versa um they, with, with acknowledging the existence of Israel, they have two options. One state, two states. One state. No, and I repeat this almost each and every episode, I don't think it's in the benefit of anyone in government or the majority of Israel to have a one state, a one state that has everyone's citizens and it's democratic and there's voting because at the end of the day, look at the stats, Palestinians are the majority. We, if we vote and agree to that, it'll end up being Palestine. It will end up in civil war. It'll end up opinion. civil war, but let's say that it, it's in not civil opinion, war, it'll and end it, up it'll. Civil war. Let's say okay, civil war or a Palestinian state, neither of which uh, an Israeli wants. Sababa, the other one, the other, the other uh, solution is a two-state solution, and okay, we go through a two-state solution, which is technically the path that we're in right now, the status quo, the limbo that we're in. Um, we look at the situation of Gaza. We look at the limbo of East Jerusalem. We look at the settlements that are expanding and expanding. We look at the settler violence that's happening not just right now. This isn't a new phenomenon that's happening in the light of the war. This is something that has been happening for years. Uh, we look at the expulsions that happen in East Jerusalem, in Sheikh Jarrah, in Silwan, in whatever. Regardless of the, regardless of the fact, like everyone sends, like put more detail. Regardless, regardless of the fact, this is what the Palestinian individual sees. He sees that his presence here is not realistic in these both scenarios: the first, the two one-state solution, and the two-state solution. What option does he have? These people don't want me here, so I will combat in the same way. 
if they want to eradicate my existence in the name of a one state or two state solution, either with that ending in civil war or with settlements that will end up annexing the entirety. That's like the full. Why would a two state solution not be something that a Palestinian would want? That is what. But what do they see, Ibrahim? What do they see now? Like, let's say you sit down a Palestinian. Because there is no two state solution, in my opinion. That's like they don't look at it. They look at it as something that it's impossible and that it's not what Israel wants. They don't. Of course, have... that's both sides don't want it. Yes, in my opinion, like if we're looking at a lot of the resistance to the two-state solution, it makes both sides not fully willing. I think at the end of the day, if we look at the entirety of the Israeli population, entirety of the Palestinian population, we'll see too many people. Mm-hmm. on both sides not willing to compromise yes and it's not because they feel that they're going to give up yeah and it's not giving up it's compromising yeah and like you said last episode that's the thing that people need to check like w- when you talked about we both need to sit in our corners mm-hmm. that's the answer we need to provide in my opinion mm-hmm. what kind of a, a state do we want yeah are we willing to compromise or not And if we as a people decide that we're not willing to compromise, it's a problem. It's a problem. And I'm going to say something harsh, but you you make a decision and you take the consequences of that of that decision. We will be doomed as a people. Yeah. Like it's plain and simple. You know, every time we and we mentioned it before, every time we went to a conflict, uh, our people lost two things, more of the land and more of their rights. So what else are we looking for in order to what to be completely obliterated? I don't understand. Speaking of obliterated, we'll talk about one really hot uh, term that uh, everybody is arguing about, mm. everybody's discussing, everyone is like trying to figure out the term genocide. Yes. And a lot of people discuss it, particularly in Western media, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to, again, analyze whether or not it's considered uh, a genocide. And right now, if you use that term, you're automatically segregated as pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. Yes. Also, that's another part of the problem. I mean, let's put it this way. I'm not even sure what they're going to think about it here when we talk about it, even though we're we're talking about from really an analytical point of view, Mm -hmm. because using a term, particularly a political term, cannot be used on emotional basis. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first thing that we need to look at. Agreed. Emotions can't Agreed. take part in in uh, uh, analysis, mm-hmm. in hardcore analysis. It doesn't work like that. What is genocide? Genocide is the liberation of whole people uh, uh, or the attempt to without any segregation, without uh, any restraint, without putting any difference between any of the people and, and for the objective of wiping them out and, and eliminate, eliminating them. But that's the objective. Mm-hmm. The question is, but, and then it becomes an issue of, and then it becomes an issue of interpretation. What does Israel want? Yeah. And that's where the argument can, can form for some people. What is, does Israel want to uh, uh, wipe out the entirety of the Palestinian people in, within, uh, you know, at the bottom of its heart or not? But I mean, I think it's a ridiculous question. If if Israel's trying, like we, you know, we know if Israel's trying to wipe the entire Gaza as a people, it can do it in two days. Could have, it could doesn't. Have, it doesn't need three. It, it doesn't need have, a month. It could have happened on the eighth or ninth of October. Yeah, it doesn't need a month. But in Israel's pursuit 
of trying to, as they say it, wipe out Hamas, they're using acts of vengeance. It's they they went to war against Hamas after the Hamas terror attack, and that war, because of the brutality and the the the, the vengeance aspects that we're seeing in the in the in the hard bombardments of Gaza, that it turns from a war to genocide, because you're bombarding, and you're not. Uh, doing knock on the knock on the roof, which Israel used to do a small little bomb to make a noise for civilians to evacuate. It's not being done. Uh, there was the entering to the um, a lot of things that are, are like being questioned in terms of international law, uh, and it's it's a challenge to try to figure out what is right and what is wrong. But at the end of the day, when you go this much blindly, you you are obliterating the people. Mm -hmm. Effectively on the ground, that's what's happening. Over eleven thousand people, but I mean, again, don't forget, Gaza's two million, two point two. If there was a genocide, we would see tens and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in a month, yeah. which we're not seeing. So we're seeing elements of genocide within a war. Yeah, it's how war, because one side is defeating the other, and if the side who's winning goes too much all the way, it becomes two elements of genocide. Yeah. I think that's that's the issue that we 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 we're seeing right now, and that's what it's should be discussed. It's disregarding. It's disregarding the with the collective the, punishment aspect. Basically. Collective punishment aspect. It's completely disregarding any the the margin of collateral damage. It's uh, disregarding, including their own, the, I mean, their yeah, own hostages. I mean, oh, come on, the hostages have become collateral like damage at this moment. The one uh, hostage that was uh, rescued, uh, the 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 IDF soldier. It was by miracle. Yeah, they they just luckily found her when they like they did not know. So yeah, she could have been collateral it's damage. Com completely, like the powers that be are driven by hate and revenge. And, and we hear it from soldiers. Yes, and we hear it's it from soldiers. It's not something we're, we're, me and you are making up yeah. from our own fiction in mind. Or analyzing it. No, we're hearing it. We're hearing it. it from, like, you know, from people on the ground. And we, we, we I, I mentioned my, like, example of a friend who, who talked about, you know, uh, that he's hearing voices within the army right now of people, uh, you know, in the Gaza Strip saying, we want to kill Arabs. It's not even Hamas or Palestinian, it's Arabs. We're seeing musicians come out to lift morale for soldiers and they're saying um, uh, get back uh, to the, Gaza go, go back to Gaza wipe out Gaza in in the songs in the chants that they're giving wipe out Gaza uh, bring back the settlement uh, that I always butcher the name of uh, Abu Gush uh, uh, Gush Katif Gush Katif um, uh, so we're we're hearing these from singers, from influencers that are coming to boost morale uh, for for the soldiers, and are they're using this terminology? They're using this mindset, and they're it's being cheered by all the by all the the soldiers that are attending that are actively going into Gaza. And at the end of the day, it's going to there is no commander on top. I assume there is no there commander. Is. I'm not finished with the sentence. Oh. There is no commander on top of each and every soldier soldier's head looking at how they're not just like what they're doing yes. or what they're saying. There is no. It's unrealistic. There are rules, there, but you can't expect each and every single soldier to follow each and every single rule and to be cold, you know, blooded and rationale and. I'm sorry, what if his cousin got attacked on yeah. October? Like, he could be looking for vengeance. And to not think that this could happen, it's also, 
how can I put this? When we talk about morality and the morality of the army, you're you're making us look like we're a bunch of devils and you guys are the saints. No, yeah. no, there are no saints in humans. I'm sorry. Humans have feelings, including feelings of vengeance, of, of, of payback, of, of, of also attacking and, and, and hurting others. That's part of human nature, in my opinion. Okay, now we actually just, uh, you know, for our listeners, just by the way, we just had a short little break. Uh, in the middle of recording and actually our editor uh, approached us and he was listening to uh, what we were just talking about and we have a Jewish Israeli editor and he was talking about that it, it was difficult for him to hear some of the things that we said you know um, all the issues about uh, the situation in Gaza about whether or not uh, you know uh, we're going for vengeance and stuff like that because in his eyes it's not about going for vengeance it's about making sure you're protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. I think for us, the view is, okay, after you secure the border, for a lot of Arabs, okay, you secure the border, what do you need to keep going in for? Yeah. In an Israeli Jewish eye, it's not only about attacking Gaza, and that's what he was telling us. It's about if you show weakness here, you will have the same thing happening from Again. Syria. And not only from, from yeah. Gaza, it could happen from the West Bank, just, from Syria, shows, or from Lebanon. Shows weakness. Shows weakness on our military mm -hmm. strategy ways. It, it's, not, it's ineffective yeah. and uh, that they as a people feel vulnerable and that they need to show strength in order to um, maintain their own security and to maintain their own safety. But I still challenge that because how much aggression will actually benefit us. Because we used aggression in the past. Israel used aggression in the past. We had three full military operations in Gaza in the past. What did it achieve? Hamas still exists. We still have terror attacks. We still had October 7th. Mm -hmm. And uh, the situation hasn't really changed from these three operations. What are, how are we, uh, you know, how does the state expect a Gazan kid um, that was born after 2008, after putting the blockade on Gaza, to grow up loving Israel. Like, I don't understand that. We, uh, we, and I'm saying we, as a state, as the Israeli state, did not offer any exits, any other paths for a Palestinian in Gaza Strip. We know people that took, it, uh, we're talking about some brilliant people that took them years to exit out of Gaza. Years and years, because they need IDF approval. And it took them so long to get out. Israel didn't offer another option to the Gazan people. It was comfortable locking them inside a little box while they're physically far from us, away from us. We have a perception of peace. But in the same time, you're putting these people without any other path, vision, anything in life besides this terror organization that you are aware and you are saying that this is terror organization, but you had no problem putting them with them. And basically Hamas was the only thing that existed in their lives. It's the one that provided education, it provided the food, it provided the employment, it provided every single element of your lives. Who else provided you anything else? Who else gave you a, a light of something, a path, mm -hmm. a, a direction, anything? No one. You're locked in the side of this box. And Israel hasn't done anything to improve your life. You're seeing this box built by Israel. So, of course, that hate will increase. And, of course, people will recruit to Hamas. Like, you know, we built the biggest uh, uh, recruitment, recruitment camp for terror in the world. And this is not the solution. I think 
I think our editor was talking more about a short-term solution and what's happening right now, and you're more talking about a long-term vision. Yeah, but even in the short term, how much can we bombard, like how much as a state is expect to bombard Gaza and reaching the results at once? The result at once is to eliminate Hamas as a, as a controlling body. It can do so. And it probably is it, that's where it's trying to do but but why wiping out most of Gaza and not offering any solutions ask anyone in the army right now what's what's what happens in the quote unquote the day after no one will give you a real answer they don't know the answer and that's the problem they don't have answers for the long term you can't do short term without long-term vision behind it like what we're gonna st get stuck with this uh, piece of land and It has no governance and then there's like what the state is gonna stare at it and see okay it's time to think of what we should do no okay I'm, like I'm going to do something that I like to do a lot I'm gonna play devil's, devil's advocate, advocate hit me and I'm going to tell you what should be done let's say we give you the chair and your prime minister what should be done and we're agreeing here all of us that Hamas is must that can't be a governing body and must be uh, eliminated must be removed from the situation because it has shown to be a threat to both Israeli and Palestinian civilians alike um, so what must be done I mean at the moment it's inevitable that the the state will 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 wipe out Hamas's uh, capability to govern Gaza no I want to go back to to the 7th of October What, what what do we do as Israelis what do we do we want to ensure our as a state yes yeah on the 7th of October on the 7th of I mean October. first of all the state uh, secured its borders for the first probably around three days the Israeli border wasn't even secure the yeah. operations weren't mainly done in Gaza there mm -hmm. were some bombings in Gaza but the, the majority of the work was trying to secure the border because yeah. there were still so many people inside Israel mm -hmm. um and So that was the first part and then there was attacking in Gaza which every military would do but then the question is how much is enough mm -hmm. that's the question it's not whether or not an army but should go saying, in but an saying, army will go in yes but we're saying how now much? okay we're saying right now that uh, yes there's a sounds there's a sense of responsibility and accountability of that the growth that Hamas has reached up until this point um, has to do um, I think I can say primarily because um, Israel keeps on keeping it like a little bit so it goes and grows just to maintain that separation that we talked about between PA and Hamas and because of benefits that uh, that Israel political benefits that Israel would have in the existence of a terror organization um, so if we're saying that and we Um, we're saying and, and now you're saying until when and we're agreeing that it must be eradicated and we don't want it to grow what do we do so we do a few things while the army is already eliminating a lot of Hamas's uh, governing capabilities okay you don't allow it to grow in again because Israel what it's done you're already inside okay and you're already controlling right now the kind of like you know the situation at the moment And Israel will continue to control the situation for a while. What it needs to do is to make to strengthen the PA mm -hmm. to provide another alternative to agree with the world that the PA should be at least changed. 
But you heard what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said. He said he will not give the uh, Gaza to the PA. So what do you want? What do you want, Bibi? What do you want? What, what do we do with Gaza? Like, he's not giving answers. And he doesn't want to turn it to the PA either. Sure, I agree, I agree that we shouldn't turn it to the PA with the current PA. But there is no even vision of creating a better PA. Why? Because the state and the government, particularly this current government, is happy that the Palestinians yeah. are divided, is glad that the Palestinians are not able to, uh, won't be able to control, uh, you know, have a st stable uh, governance in the West Bank and it won't be able to control Gaza Strip because it eliminates a partner for negotiations of, of, of a solution to this conflict. That's all part of the problem. It's yeah. all of these things together. It's not just I think, one. I think we can talk about problems and we can talk about problems and faults and mistakes that both have made forever. Um, me personally, um, like we can also go in an, on an, an analytical uh, aspect and talk about where where the aspects and elements of genocide appear within the war or after the war and talk about, analyze the the intentions of the Israeli government of what they are doing. But at the end of the day, I honestly don't have an answer of what should be done and what's the best short-term solution. I can, I can philosophize on the long-term solution and what I think should happen a lot. And I do think that that we are right in a lot of cases, but right now, I really don't know. Like I'm at a loss on it's what tough. should be happening. Like tough. I have my heart torn between between not even two, like a thousand pieces between the civilians, the peace builders, Israelis, friends, families, and you have the West Bank and the kidnapped and yeah, and then the kidnapped and it's it's just and this is a word that the West hates. It's so complicated. Like it's so it's so complicated. It's not it's not simple. It's not black and white. You can call out a certain scenario and situation that happened and say this is black and this is white. This is right and this is wrong. But when you look at it from the bigger picture, it's really complicated. Like I hate to break it to everyone that's listening outside. Um, um, and now let's let's move into like we talked about genocide before we t we 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 mentioned the word apartheid ethnic cleansing now i think we can both agree and tell me if i'm wrong that these these elements are there whether in east jerusalem whether in hebron whether in the west bank in gaza we can see those things happening of buses only or locations i personally on, on apartheid in on apartheid in particular I, I i personally was in in hebron in the jewish portion of hebron and i was stopped and i was asked i was i was with a jewish friend and i was asked uh are you muslim and i said yes and then he said you can't be here you need to go and i was like i want to buy water he was like you can't you need to leave. And then I said, I'm an Israeli citizen. And he said, you're Muslim, you need to leave. And there are buses that I can't take. There are places that I can't be. Even within the mosque, it's like separated. So elements of apartheid exist. And I want to follow that up with elements within Israel that negate apartheid, where there is democracy, where there is equal opportunity and equal rights exist. But the existence of the good does not make the bad and the shit less bad. I so. think, uh, you know, th there are two prime examples of talking about elements of apartheid. It's like you said in Hebron. Hebron is like, you know, it's a divided city. People need to understand half of Hebron is Palestinian, half is Israeli. Yeah. 
and you can't cross mm -hmm. between the both sides. And obviously, because the military control is, is Israeli, so the upper hand is Israeli. Mm -hmm. And then the lives of the simple uh, Palestinian citizens are very, very restricted. And, uh, you know, you go through uh, checkpoints and pass and, and people use different buses. We see full segregation in those things. The other place that we see uh, elements of apartheid is, 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 is your community, yep. is, Jeruz is Arab 67, Jerusalemites, where you are a resident and not a citizen. Yep. You have certain rights. You can get an Israeli uh, ID and a license, but not a passport. You can vote in the municipality, but not in government. And you pay taxes. And all this while she pays full taxes. I think we shouldn't. I'll end this this portion of terminology by saying that all these all these terms that we're using, genocide, uh, apartheid, ethnic cleansing. When we talk about them, we need to be extremely, because we're talking about them removed of emotions. So we need to continue the delivery of our sentence removed from emotions as well. Like you can't say that, you can't reference the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the, the apartheid to the Jewish people. You can't say that because something that is done by the IDF or by the Israeli government, that means it's relevant to all and apply to all Jews. That has been right now and in the past increasing, increasing severely the anti-Semitism around the world. Yes, yes. It's and putting everything in one, one Jewish box. Same for Islamophobia. One Arab is a terrorist. That means all Arabs are terrorists. Yeah, and I think that's just one thing that I would want to like follow up with you on is that we need to be careful um, with terminologies because of the problem, I think, of, like you said, don't bring emotion to the table. Mm -hmm. And because I see that with our own community, Air 48, because the word apartheid uh, is used so much in the pro-Palestinian camp, it talks about apartheid everywhere. Yeah, it's not clear about issues of or as we say it, elements of apartheid in two specific locations. And then I would hear people who are Arab citizens in Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel, talk about apartheid in Israel. I don't think we have an apartheid. I think we have discrimination in Israel, for sure. Like, but also be clear. What are you like, talking about? For sure, we have discrimination, systematic, and discrimination between people because. And when you say in Israel, okay. you mean 48 Israel? I mean 48. Okay. Uh, because we are full citizens. Uh, we vote. We vote, in, uh, including in the elections, we can get uh, uh, even elected uh, in government. But it doesn't mean that we uh, are, you know, are on full, uh, on uh, equal footing on every single level. We're not. But it's not apartheid. We're not forced to be in the back of the bus. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. We're not forced to use different bathrooms. It's not even the segregation of the black uh, people in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a completely different thing. And, and to put our experience in the same words as a terminology of something so severe is a problem from our side. And it, it diminishes or undermines the suffering that we go through. It does more when you come to the, the table and say this is apartheid, the counter arc argument is going to be presented and then not apartheid next. Yeah, so your discrimination is, is invalid. Yeah. So instead of just talking of really about there are actual discrimination, uh, including systematic, it's not only between people, it's including systematic discrimination. How many towns in Israel, Arab towns in Israel have been established since 1948? Zero. Not a single one 
and a single new uh, Arab town has been built in this country. Since its establishment, that shows you all you need to know. Well, obviously, while hundreds of different uh, uh, Jewish ones were, were, were established uh, since then, we weren't allowed to expand. We weren't allowed to, to, to even start new, um, build new communities. And, and with those new communities, actually good things could happen. Yeah. We can create new uh, visions and new culture from the younger generation. But if I'm stuck in the same village, that it's a completely conservative village forever and ever, that young generation is not going to break, break the culture or the conservative culture of the village. But I want a different lifestyle. So why can't I do it and create a new dynamic with other young Arabs in our own city? Why do I need to come to your city, mm -hmm. to a Jewish city, in order to live that life? Why can't I build it and create it as part of my culture? And then actually we're both going to be like relatively closer in terms of culture uh, in, in a secular way. At least that's something that I could personally relate to. So discrimination systematic is also exists and we need to understand which term we use for what. Yeah. And that's the and most and where. And that's the most important thing. The, but there are things that are absolute, like the term terror. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about Hamas, people ask, is it a freedom fighting versus is it a terrorist organization? Look, at the end of the day, when you have a people that is not a state. They do they and they want statehood. They use different methods and means in order to reach that statehood. One of the possible tools that you can use is terror. Yeah, it's terror. It's to draw fear. Is to is to uh, uh, um, make the other side change their policies and ways in order to create something for yourself, and 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 it's for political gain. And what Hamas has done is using uh, uh, terror. Um, uh, uh, using terror in order to uh, make that point. The terror only problem, as the means. terror for the as a, as the means for the goal. Yeah. The only problem also with Hamas that I personally have, it's not only that it's using terror. It's not only just that uh, it's acting with terror and killing innocent civilians for that uh, goal. Which obviously, no innocent civilian is, is for me the means for the goal. But it's also that it's a, it's a radical religious ideology mm -hmm. that expands beyond the right quote-unquote regular terror means that we've seen in the past. Meaning, if we look at the Northern Irish and the terror that was done back then, it was just for the nationalistic as aspiration. And at the end, they got uh, independence of northern part of Ireland. Yeah. But Hamas expands beyond Palestinian nationalism. It's a religious... Uh, it's a religious ideology that expands from the Muslim Brotherhood that looks at a much bigger picture of Islamic, uh, new Islamic Arab world revolution or something. Mm -hmm. So that also is, 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 is something that I you know, completely disagree with because your aspirations are not just you know, solely Palestinian nationalistic. Yeah. It goes beyond. And you are using terror as a means. Say that, that you're being a freedom fighter, in my opinion, uh, I disagree with. Mm -hmm. And especially from, as we said, as a, from a group that bluntly said live that they yeah. are not responsible for their own people. How then dare you? Who's, whose freedom are you fighting for? Exa how dare you? If you're just fighting to fight and not to protect these people and to, who, exactly, who the hell are you like fighting for? 
Exactly. It's exactly that's that's the right question. Who are you fighting for exactly? But it's important also for some of our listeners to remember other things when when it comes to terror. That terror was used in the past and it was used and uh, and was this is initially uh, defined uh, as terror and then defined as other uh, other wise. things. And yeah. and one of the biggest you know, especially because we live in Israel, it's a lot of the times the word terror is portrayed for things that have to do with Arabs. Yeah, and Muslims. And need I remind some of our listeners that um, the Haganah, a Jewish militia, was established in order to grant the, the Jews in uh, 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 independence from the British mandate. They used terror attacks. Yeah. The Haganah in uh, 1946 uh, had, did a terror attack on the King David uh, um, Hotel in Jerusalem, killing 91 people. That was also a terror attack that no. killed civilians. It, 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 it was a lot of, it's a hotel. Who led the Haganah? Menachem Begin. Who is Menachem Begin? He's the sixth prime minister of Israel and he is the, um, the one who established the Likud party. Mm -hmm. So then he became a legitimate figure. So it is a question. It's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a question that needs to be asked in general in the world. The thing is, history is written by the victors. Yeah. So you define what things are. But me, as Ibrahim, as a peace activist, use of terror as a means to a goal doesn't help. It won't help. And particularly for our case, it won't help. It will only, uh, it will only terrorize us at the end of the day. We will get a we will suffer. It's these terror organizations thinking they can affect our reality. They're only making it worse. They're increasing our suffering. Exactly, and that's the biggest problem of the of the of the means that they're using of them thinking that terror is a right strategy. Mm -hmm. It's proven false, but they're still insisting to continue to do it, which makes our lives even more difficult. Look, it's important, you know, to to emphasize one thing. That when we talk about discrimination, we're talking about racism. It's important to emphasize that we're not talking about, you know, th that it's uh, discrimination is something that only one side feels and one side only discriminates, or that one side feels, uh, you know, being uh, targeted uh, on a racist uh, um, elements or they are being racist. Racism, discrimination, looking at yourself as a, a group versus another group and looking at differences rather than similarities and how I am part of a tribe versus another tribe, it's a human nature. Yeah. Humans look at how I'm related to some and different than some mm -hmm. and try to relate with some and exclude others. That is human nature and it creates and it's, it's embedded in us to create uh, racism and discrimination. The way to combat it is to accept that the different is not bad. Yes. But we as a, mashallah, as a human, as a, as, a, as a species, haven't done that since the beginning of time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not very hopeful that this will change in terms of, um, of, of it being a, a, um, something natural of humans. Because all of us can be racist, all of us can uh, discriminate, and all of us can feel uh, racism against us and discrimination against us. It's not one versus the other, and we can feel it within our own community. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's human nature. As soon as you enter a room, 
you make the the distinguish you distinguish between me and them us versus them as soon as you start a conversation as soon as you enter the room whether that's male female black white arab non-arab jew not jew and we also do it within our own societies we there's a lot of discrimination between arab 48 67 both of us against west bankers it's a derogatory term the we say as like west, west banker yeah. as little kids we say it as if we are better than them and us as Jerusalemites, we would look at uh, at uh, arabs from up north 48 arabs we would say ah they think they're better than us like we would say that it's like discrimination yeah 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 you know i, I same like for me i grew up with that like word like that uh, people use and it's like such a normal thing that people say the following and and i only remember when i was a little older and i started to understand a bit more and i'm like I'm confused. Why the hell do we use that term as a derogatory against our own people? Aren't mm -hmm. we fighting because, like, aren't we struggling to find a way that these our own people can have dignity and live in, in their own state? So why are we looking at them as less than? And the same, by the way, we do for this Jerusalem. But with Jerusalem, it's different. It's different. I think you guys look at us as if we are closed-minded. There's stubborn. that closed-mindedness closed and elitistness in Elitistness? Like... <laughs> What do you what do you mean? Like we think that we're we're better than all or above yeah, all? Like, you know, we look at the same we we say the same about you. <laughs> it's so it's funny. Like... <laughs> I feel like we have the same no, but it's like, you know, that uh, oh, because they th they're from Jerusalem, they think they're they are the Palestinian people uh -huh. or like, you know, they're better than others. Even uh, though half of us are from Hebron. <laughs> um but yes, it's an, an, an it's a natural I don't I don't even know if to say natural, but it's it's unfortunately an unfortunate uh <laughs> It's an unfortunate trait that all human beings have, and we need to keep it in check. And by the way, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's only us that do it and the other, you know, uh, others don't. We see it with our own peers, with the Jewish society. You know, we live Ooh, in Israel. Yes. So we see how discrimination can also happen within the Jewish community itself to the Jewish community. Also, the Jewish community talks about, you know, being discrim uh, discriminated against in the world and all these things, but they discriminate each other. Uh, looking at a Russian a Jew as um, someone who is, uh, you know, calling a Russian little girl a slut. I'm sorry, like mm -hmm. it's it's a horrible, but that's a that's a racist uh, thing that we hear uh, happening in Israel. Or looking at uh, Yemenites and uh, just in general Mizrahi Jews, people that came from the Arab world as less than. And it was definitely true back back in the day when they started moving into this country. They were put in the worst places. Mm -hmm. When they were, uh, you know, when they did their, made their aliyah, their entrance to the state, they put them in the worst places that they could. The the, the better ones were given to Ashkenazis, to, to European descendant Jews. Mm -hmm. Arab Jews were looked at less than. And actually, in order to combat the right. racism against them, because they the, the 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 European Jews told them, "Oh, you're Arabs." Yes. Because they spoke Arabic. Yes. They didn't speak Hebrew. And then they dropped the language. So they dropped the language. They dropped the, even the culture uh, in a lot of the communities. To a certain, to a certain degree. Yes. And I think it's resurfacing now. Mm -hmm. In the last five years, we're seeing a resurface of the pride of the Moroccan, of the and Yemenites. And because of the Abraham Accords. I think the Abraham Accords played a big role in that. That there, Now there's a resurface of the pride. But back then, they refused to speak Arabic. That's why if you look at their descendants... Kids, our generation, they don't know the language. Mm -hmm. 
They don't Because speak it. The, the, the Israel was close to the region. But after the Abraham Accords, they had a link to go back to their to to the roots that they have in those locations in that land, whether that's um, whether that's Morocco, specifically Morocco, actually. So and even they don't speak the language, you know, the, the, the farthest person for a lot of them is either the oldest aunt yeah. and for sure their grandma. But a lot of the parents even they like the grandparents that moved with their kids, the, the parents of our friends. They try to prevent like the uh, the kids from speaking Arabic. They try to make them only speak Hebrew to be as Israeli as possible. Why? Because if you're not, they think you're Arab, mm -hmm. which is us, our community. They don't want to be confused with those Arabs and looked at less than as Arabs. So what did they do? They were even more racist against mm -hmm. Arabs to show, hey, 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 with all due respect, we're Mizrahi Jews, we're Jews. And those Arabs that you talk about, we hate them even more than you do. Mm -hmm. And that was a, me a mechanism, to a self-defense mechanism, is to portray the racism and discrimination against someone else in order to protect yourself. And that, that shows us how strong terminology can be and how careful we need to be when using certain terms. And now to sprinkle a little bit of fact-checking to our episode, we want to add something very light, very silly, I have to say. Um, of the people that I get on on my social media and on uh, that I see on other people's social media, those of you from the West that are sitting very comfortably and claiming that the state of Israel is the one that committed the atrocities against their own civilians in order to justify raiding Gaza and bombarding Gaza and eradicating Hamas. I can't believe that's even real. I don't I don't I don't I don't have anything smart to say to something that is very stupid. I'm sorry. It's um like you can't I I can argue and bring statistics and bring opinions and experiences to someone who wants to listen and someone who's actually bringing valuable factual points to the table, but when someone comes and brings someone from the outside comes and tells me what happened, I just can't I just can't take it seriously. It's that demonization, though. Yeah. It, it, it got to a point that you think the other side is such a monster that it's even willing to do this. Mm -hmm. When you create that demonization and you amplify it to that position, in the mind of that person, this monster in his head is capable of doing anything. And that's that's the problem. And... I'm glad that we're here to dispute all that. And we're saying it as Palestinians. Yeah. These things happened. People died. So many people, including Arabs, including Arab citizens of Israel, Palestinian Israelis. Even from the kidnapped. From the kidnapped, including people from East Jerusalem, including Bedouins, uh, children, uh, uh, elderly women. You know, these are real people. These are not imaginary. And it's not... Uh, Me and my cousins who took them to our backyard, like it, it, they were kidnapped by Gaza in Gaza for Christ's sakes by by a terror organization, and 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 to say that this is a fake or that people the state would burn its people to yeah. justify war, what the hell is I wrong think with you? We need to say, yeah, there's enough. There's enough atrocities and horrible things that have happened. You don't need to make shit up. There's enough horrible actual facts. Stop putting and making up what are they called instagram infographics for other people to feel other people's hate one there's enough real news you don't need to make things up 
Two, it's not what we need to get to. It's not us people from, from on the ground here in Israel and Palestine. We don't need that. We don't need that at all. And I know, I know this episode was probably very hard for whoever is like we we touched upon many many points, many points, and we would, probably pissed off a lot of people from, from many all sides. sides. Yes, all sides were not comfortable, but that's why this podcast is called unapologetic. unapologetic. And we're gonna say our views, and sometimes you're gonna like it, sometimes you're not. But we thank you for your time, and we thank you for your compassion to actually sit and listen to us. And for allowing us to bring you the world from our eyes. Yeah. And thank you for trying and making the effort to really look at the world from our eyes and to understand the complexity from our side. Because that plurality and understanding of complexity from all different angles is what will get us to a better place than we are today. And to quote Ibrahim, at the end of the day, Arabs, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, we all deserve better. Mm -hmm.